Greetings, it's October 4th, 2017. Kansas schools and the state Supreme Court and teenagers running for governor. You're on Deep Background. Hi, I'm Dave Helling with the Kansas City Star's editorial board and two great reporters with me here today on Deep Background to talk about the Kansas Supreme Court's recent decision on school finance. Katie Bergen, thanks again for joining us. And Hunter Woodall of the Star's Topeka Bureau. Um, Let's revisit some of the stuff we've been chatting about here sort of off the record. Katie, what did the court say and how emphatically did it say it? Uh, I think that the court's ruling um, this week was pretty emphatic. We saw stronger language than I think probably the people who've been following this have ever seen. Essentially, we've had, you know, years and years of, you know, battles over trying to find a school funding finance uh, finance formula that is constitutional. The latest iteration that lawmakers came up with in June is not unco- is not constitutional. Right, and the court said the, the court Supreme ruling. Court, and it was a per curiam decision. There were some. The only dissents from the decision were judges saying, "No, you need to fix it faster." Mm-hmm. And in essence, they said, "You're not spending enough on schools, and you're not passing it out fairly to mm-hmm. poorer districts." Right, Hunter? Yeah, it was, I mean, adequacy and uh, equity both got got hit, you know, hard on this one. I mean, Did, you you talked to some legislators after the ruling. Were they surprised? That was the thing. Nobody, like I talked to, you know, Democrat, Republican, moderate, and Republican conservative. Nobody seems surprised by this. And you know, you had two two of those Republicans had voted for it. The Democrat House Minority Leader Jim Ward um, was emphatic that it didn't have enough money. But nobody seems surprised by this. Well, why is that? Because they just ex- accept in their hearts that the court will never be satisfied, or did they go into this in the spring knowing that what they were doing wasn't going to be enough? Well, Senator Julia Lynn of Olathe made the comment. You know, she doesn't think there'll ever, ever be enough money to police the court, which you, you hear from conservatives fairly often. They, you know, they're very upset with the court. I, I talked to one lawmaker, uh, C. Fitzgerald of Leavenworth, one of the more conservative Republicans. Yeah, to he, say the least. And he made the comment that, you know, I essentially hopes uh, when Lieutenant Governor Jeff Collier becomes governor that uh, he tells the court to, quote, stuff it. Uh, I asked him to elaborate. He said, I think your readers get the idea. Right. <laughs> um, so, but even moderate Republicans, you know, Dinah Seisel and Nexa made the comment, you know, we're trying to get conservative votes on board. And again, this did pass with mostly moderate Republican and conservative votes with yeah. a few Democrats. You, Katie, you talked to some school district folks. What was their reaction? I mean, I, I assume that, uh, you know, it, uh, my own experience is that different districts react differently because they have different needs and different things they want from the state. But there is some sort of overall frustration that this case drags on and on and on and this battle has to be fought every every yeah I, I definitely sense that there's a level of weariness with this topic as I'm sure anyone who's you know involved with it has um, so you know yes it's a victory but I think people feel cautious about it you know Cindy Lane superintendent of KCK schools you know we've been here before we're excited but we're kind of holding our breath because we've been through this many times right. um, and now I think there's a little bit of frustration too that um, you know, that that final ultimate deadline for, you know, the court revisiting this and saying whether the next, um, you know, the next plan will be constitutional isn't until June. So, you know, once again, the deadline is further down the line. Right. And we guess that uh, it's our guess that there won't be a special session that indeed will just deal with this in January. Although, let's be clear, it's an election year that makes taxes even more difficult. But Hunter, we, we've chatted a little bit about this. The court deserves some blame for the uh, fogginess around this issue, does it not? I mean, it, it repeatedly issues rulings. It's like a parent saying to a child, you're not doing what I want you to do, and the kid saying, well, what should I do? I'm not going to tell you, but you need to do it. That, that, I mean, let's face it, that's a pretty frustrating deal. 
Well, it is interesting. There's no set dollar figure in this for how much it's going to take. Uh, you know, they said before, even on equity, they weren't completely clear about how to make mm-hmm. this more fair. I mean, more I, fair. I called Dale Dennis with the you know, Kansas Department of Education. I said, "How much does this take?" And he said, "You know, I don't know. They asked. They're asking for a lot. There's no really. There's no set figure. You know, he essentially said, if you have a figure, you probably walk on water too." Yeah. Why? Why? <laughs> why do you think the court does it this way? My own view is. They're very loath to give a number because they don't want to be accused of setting policy. And I get that, but lacking specificity, you do allow legislators to sort of wander around, you know, blindly and not knowing what exactly they need to do to make the judges happy. It is interesting. I mean, you have people calling them activist judges, you know, every once in a while. So they, they do get criticized. And obviously, you know, they all won, you know, the ones that were up for re-election won re-election last fall. I mean, they're in there for a while now. And, you, I mean, it's interesting that they choose to uh, choose to not give a number. I all can't right. quite explain why. Well, let's leave them a, 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 you know, aside for just a minute and look at the math. The plaintiffs in this case have said or did say at one point, I think based on the Kansas State Board of Education number or some other number, that they needed roughly $900 million over two years to satisfy what they think is adequacy. We'll set aside the equity part for a minute. Uh, and the legislature did what? $488 million over two mm-hmm. years. Roughly. So uh, they've got to, if we just take what the plaintiffs have said, they've got to come up with another $500 million. But that would be over two years, one assumes, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, $250 million, it doesn't seem impossible that they could come up with it. Your, your reporting suggests otherwise, that there's just no no appetite whatsoever for raising taxes. Right. I mean, those moderate Republicans, you know, after the session, you know, they said a lot of the ones I talked to just said, we don't want to do another tax increase. We came in here, passed a large tax increase because that's what our voters wanted, and we did our job. I, but, of course, that was before this decision came out. Uh, it's interesting I'll have to, you know, kind of round back and talk to them because, I mean, this will be a tough session. You know, you're going to have an election year, you know, where a lot of people, you know, you already have, you know, campaigns going on against these folks who voted for the tax increase. Right. I mean, this is sending be out postcards already. Exactly. Yeah. So, so we we completely assume it'll be an issue next year, and the the tax increase, whatever it is, will sort of be dropped if there is to be a tax increase. What's the alternative, though? I mean, if you don't raise taxes, put on your legislator hat. What what what's left? Well, I, you know, I suppose you cut from somewhere else and send it to education, but then, you know, given how the budget situation is, I don't know. I mean, I'm not where, sure where you do you cut. find out $250 million to send to schools? Exactly. I mean, they already, you know, we were amazed last year when they found that money from, you know, the PMIB fund to bridge the budget gap. Right, you know, that, right, that, right, right. And we the never, money that was in the cushions of the state's couch. <laughs> right. We didn't think there was any, I think some folks didn't think there was any more money left. So I, I'm not sure if they have any more, um, you know, rabbit's paw of the hat here. Yeah. Katie, do you get a sense that any of this is actually impacting education in the classroom? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Superintendent Lane talked to me about Kansas City, Kansas. Kansas City, Kansas, yep. Uh, Talked to me about basically since 2008, that district has had to cut $55 million from his budget from their budget. And, um, you know, that has a real impact that's affected their ability to expand early education programs. Um, They have their new Diploma Plus program, which basically um, helps high school students become more career and college ready by hooking them up with college credits in high school or technical um, classes. Um, and so it's affected that program. It's affected their ability to re- retain teachers and retain talent. Right, and that's a statewide problem. Absolutely. Not one that's isolated. But you hear the criticism all the time that the schools will never be satisfied. 
do you think that's right, or do you think there is a number, whatever that is, that the schools would reach whatever educational goals they want to reach? I haven't talked specific dollar figures with school districts, but I talked to to multiple superintendents this week, and you know the point that multiple people make is that even with this last solution, um, that puts funding levels back at the 2008, 2009. Right. Um, you know, level and obviously the cost of running school has gone up in the last eight or right. nine Right. I, d- I did so. a little math yesterday for an editorial that I was writing. 2008-2009, base state aid per pupil. We don't want to get too far into the weeds, but the base aid for every student was, I think, $4,400 per student. And in the current year, it's 4006 So you're $400 below what you were 10 years ago not counting for inflation and with if you add inflation it ought to be around 5100 um so that is some significant money i mean that you've almost got a lost decade don't you of trying to build things back up and the court is in essence saying yeah you've got to make up for that lost decade in the next 12 months which is which is just a high bar well, and as Superintendent um, John Allison in Olathe says, I mean, it, the analogy is like if your home budget hadn't changed in 10 years, you know, your insurance hadn't gone up or, um, you know, your expenses hadn't gone up. That's yeah, just kind of yeah. ridiculous. Do you, as Hunter, sense any taste among legislators or opinion leaders to really tackle sort of more fundamental issues, not so much how much you put into the formula or even what the formula looks like, but more fundamentally, do we need state, a state role at all? Do we need to consolidate districts? Do we need to uh, increase property taxes and lower income tax? I mean, it, it seems like there would be some impetus to say, instead of just tinkering around the edges and then guessing what the court wants, that we should really tear this thing all the way down to the ground and build it back up. Any, any taste for that at all, or is it much more sort of pragmatic, tactical at, at the legislative level? Well, I think it's a little bit too early to say on that end. I think folks are still kind of scrambling to in the aftermath of this ruling, but I think you will see some folks who kind of do say tear it down because this does look like a lot like the old formula that was, you know, thrown out back in, I believe it was 15 when the block grants came in. Right. Um, they essentially froze funding. So I think a lot of people are going to say, look, we essentially you know, refurbished the old formula and they didn't like it. So what do we do now? Yeah. And, and do you sense a taste to do, just simply defy the court? I'm not sure on that. And I mean, this is, you know, you had a lot of conservatives, you know, back in that special s- session in 16, who I think were, you know, very critical of the court. I don't sense that much criticism from this body, but, you know, you never know. This, again, is a much more moderate legislature. Um, so, and they, they ran on education funding, a lot of these, you know, moderate right. Republicans who won. Right. right. Katie, uh, obviously we're in, in, in election year next year, candidates for governor. We'll have, a it looks like, a replacement governor any day now, Jeff Collier, as Sam Brownback leaves for a new assignment. Um, does that change the calculus at all, do you think? Do you think, the, the, you know, this sort of turnover at the top and election year, does that make it easier, harder? Does it change anything in terms of what the legislature might do to address this problem? And again, what do the districts think? I mean, do the districts think, well, we're just going to have to freeze everything and then go at it in 2019, or maybe not? We, I just didn't talk to them about yeah. that. I don't yeah. know if if you have any. Hunter, you got that, a sense of that at all? That 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 um, uh, that there'll be some desire with a new governor, the 2018, that they can actually tackle this, or it, will there be an impetus to try and put it off to 2019? 
It'll be interesting. I mean, you know, Brownback came out with that statement criticizing the, the courts. Although I thought it was pretty mild for Sam. I mean, usually it's, you know, this usurpers and, you know, mm-hmm. people died to protect liberty. And you didn't really get that kind of uh, hyperbole from mm-hmm. him. And Jeff Collier, interestingly enough, uh, sort of said, well, let's work on this problem. And it didn't seem quite as aggressive. On the other hand, we can certainly expect the Chris Kobachs of the world and the other conservative Republicans to step up and try and make this an issue. It just really complicates it that it's in an election year, right? It doesn't, you know, for Collier, it is complicated. You think of passing, you know, he tries to get a tax increase passed, which I have no idea if he'll do that, but that's going to hurt him in the primary, obviously, with Republicans. And if there's a big issue with the schools, that could hurt Collier in the general Yeah. if he makes it that far. So, I mean, it's really... He's, he's, walk, he's walking into a pretty fiery room right now. Yeah, almost uh, ready to wrap up this segment of the program. Do it, Will this be the biggest issue of all next year? And, and you know, people think we're not. It is October. We're, you know, the legislature reconvenes here in about 90 days, 100 days. I mean, will this be the only thing on the agenda? Or what else is, is a potential discussion topic well, that would rival this one? I think this will, will be the main one. But, I mean, of course, taxes I, and school spending. Taxes and school spending. I mean, you, you know, Julia Lynn, when I spoke with her, said, "I'm not looking forward to the tax debate. This is going, you know, this is going to lead to." So I think this will be the two big things. Yeah, nothing else. No other sort of overriding issues other than this one going in, which has been true for the last 25 years. You never know. There's know. always something. Yeah. Okay. Great. Hunter Woodall. Thanks. Stick around for a minute. We want to talk about Kansas politics. Katie Bergen with the Star. You did great. I appreciate you Thanks being with us. Thanks for having me. Okay. Great. Back now with Hunter Woodall to talk about another interesting development in the state of Kansas, and that is we've got teenagers running for governor. We want to talk about that a little bit after we listen to one of the teenage candidates. Tyler Rusick, I think is, uh, I want to make sure I get it right, uh, came in and visited uh, with us here at the editorial board on Facebook Live. Let's play a little bit of what he had to say, and then we'll talk with Hunter on the other side. I'm not saying that I'm going to end up becoming president after this uh, uh, if I do end up uh, losing this election, but I still think that I can win this election even without getting elected. That's kind of why, why I ran, running with the message that we can get younger people registered to vote, that before Jack Bergeson, the teen running in Wichita, Ethan, the other teen running in Wichita and me, had ever entered this race, I can tell you and almost promise you there was next to no youth involvement or excitement about the uh, Kansas gubernatorial election. But now that we're running, now that we're people who can uh, actually find uh, connections with, then younger people are getting excited about this, Um, which in my view, I think is not only a victory, but it's a pathway towards winning. If we get more younger people registered to vote as Republican and uh, to vote overall, then I think that's a victory, not just for me, but for Jack, for Ethan, and for any of the younger team candidates. So it's not just, oh, it's a cool thing to do, but this is a legitimate message of getting those younger people involved who previously felt no connection to the electoral process. So one of our viewers, Sarah, asked, how old do you have to be to run for office? And in in Kansas, there's not an age requirement to run for governor. And we've even joked about whether a dog could run for governor in Kansas. And so Chris Kobach has come out and said, perhaps there should be an age requirement. Um, What do you think about that? Uh, It's unfortunate that our Secretary of State has gone to those lengths. I think uh, (laughs) ethically, it is pretty interesting that he would be suggesting our our state legislature uh, create and pass a measure that would make one of his legal and legitimate political opponents 
ineligible to run against him. I think the ethics of that statement are should be called in question immediately. Uh, but but regardless of that, um, the ethics of it, I'm surprised that of all people, he's scared of me. And um, <laughs> that's a compliment. <laughs> and, 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 yeah, it's so. You know, look, I, I'm. I'm a legal candidate. I, I'm a resident of Kansas. You know, I've, I've lived here almost all my uh, young life. I lived. I was just born in Kansas City, Missouri, and you know, right when I was a preschool age, I moved here and I, to Johnson County, and I've you know loved every second of it. And so I'm a resident of this state. I'll be able to vote for myself in the general election, whether I'm the nominee or not. I'm going to be going out and be uh, enthusiastic about participating in our democracy. Um, and so registering to vote, um, which I'll be eligible for, is something that is just so exciting for me. So I do meet all those legal requirements. And um, so how old do you, so to answer your questions there, how old do you have to be? Um, really any age, of course, you know, give or take, there should be some common sense. I think voters are able uh, to be competent in who they're voting for um, and, and, you know, making sure that a five-year-old doesn't become, you know, governor of the state. Uh, <laughs> but I still think that this is an opportunity for younger people to get involved and to get younger people excited about this election. Apparently a very, very smart candidate for a 17-year-old uh, hunter. Have you had a chance to talk with Tyler? I think you have, haven't you? Uh, or have I, you I have, and I've talked with uh, Jack uh, Bergeson and Ethan uh, Randles or something right, 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 right. from uh, Wichita. We've got three teenagers three running teenagers, for government. Yeah. Okay, so the initial reaction is, well, that's kind of a joke. It's not a joke, is it? At least in the sense that, and your reporting shows, that it points out something pretty important about how we elect a governor in Kansas. One, I, I had no idea until you know, Jack Burson was the one that kind of brought this to everyone's attention, the 16-year-old the from Wichita. Uh, you talked to Brian Kasky with the Kansas Secretary of State's Office, Director of Elections, no age requirement, no re, you know apparently no residency requirement, kind of opens up. You know, ten-year-olds could run. It sounds like right. You know, right. if you if you can clear the filing fee, you're 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 on there. Now, so in your conversations with these, uh, I don't want to call them kids, but teenagers. Were you as impressed as uh, we have been in our conversations that the these you know guys know what they're talking about? I mean, they're not they're not running completely as a as a joke. Well, they they very clearly have an interest in politics. You know, they very clearly you know they, they all seem to be taking this seriously. Um, you know, the the funny thing was with uh, Ethan, the the seventeen year old running from Wichita, he actually had been uh, had started a GoFundMe page to fundraise money for his filing fee. It sounds like, <laughs> but then he hadn't actually filed an appointment of treasurer, which you have to do to actually fundraise money. So, right, right. you know, it's, it's some of the stuff like that. You know, it, it's obviously tough to do all this stuff on your own. They're essentially doing this in between high school classes. Right. It, even taking these kids out of the equation, though, particularly on the Republican side. We have about four million candidates, it looks like. I mean, uh, I, that's an exaggeration, obviously, but a lot of folks are running. Uh, and I don't want to list them off the top of my head because I'll forget somebody, but there at least five or six viable candidates, not counting the teenagers. Why do you think that is? It's just it's an open year. You know, I think, you know, obviously. Yeah, but even in open years, you, I mean, you've got, let me just try this. You've got Jeff Collier Wright, Chris Kobach, Jim Barnett, uh, Ed O'Malley. Uh, uh, Mark Hutton, uh, yes, uh, Ken Selzer. Yeah, yes. Um, so that's we're up to six or seven there. Then these kids. I mean, it doesn't seem like the path. Typically, you have someone, particularly on the Republican side, who is the next man up or mm -hmm. woman. Uh, in this case, I think that all the candidates find vulnerabilities in the others. Is that right? Is mm -hmm. that your analysis of it? Mm -hmm. In and terms of, of why so many people are running. 
Well, and of course, I, I forgot to you have Link Hartman as well. Yes, I, think, yes. I think that was the one I was missing. Um, I, you know, I think you'll, you have a lot of We folks. won't hold any of us to this because <laughs> there are so many to memorize. All of them is That's going the to truth. be difficult. I need a yeah. flow chart. Um, right. I, you know, you have a lot of folks who, you know, very, very clearly, a lot more, a lot of more conservative leaning folks who I thought that was interesting because obviously the elect, you know, the legislature went more modern in 16. I think a lot of people feel like, you know, they've, they can do a better job than what they've seen, you know. Collier's talked about a new day. You know, Kobach has very much just been extending his policies and that kind of Trump-esque rhetoric right. through his campaign. I think a lot of people just see an opportunity for a good shot at this seat. Right. A field this big, though, also means that the winner could theoretically have 20, 25 percent of the Republican vote. That isn't exactly how you want to go into the general election next year, is it or is it? I mean, if you, you, you know, three out of four Republicans are against Jeff Collier or Chris Kobach or Jim Barnett or any of the other candidates, it seems like they go into the general a bit more weakened because the field is so big. Well, that might be the case, but also on the Democratic side, you know, I think... Yeah, it's he, not he's, uh, a cakewalk there, right? Right, because you have their, you know, their first primary since, what, the Fred Phelps, uh, you right. know, Tom Sawyer primary in the 90s, I believe. Um, and, you know, Jim Moore definitely has his detractors. You know, Josh Savati running the Democratic side as his right. critics over his, you know, abortion views. Right. So they're We've had him on Facebook Live as well. And, you know, so I think everybody's, you know, they're, they're gonna, all going to have some trouble. You know, both, both are going to have some primaries. And, you know, they, there's, there'll be a lot of criticism. And what will the issues be? I mean, are we going to fight over taxes, school finance? Is it going to be... I mean, are we going to relitigate the Brownback tax cuts? It seems like early on that'll be the major mm-hmm. issue, whether to... To roll them all the way back, or try to go, you know, cut taxes again, is that how you see it? I mean, you do, or are there other things that'll come up uh, in the state? Well, I think Brownback and his legacy and aftermath will continue to be an issue. You know, you'll have, you know, Jim Moore probably saying, you know, I helped roll back the tax cuts, and you know, people try and link Collier to Brownback and Kobach, because obviously he was very critical of the tax plan as soon as it passed this last session. Um, the whole impact. The whole net impact of this Brownback legacy, I think, will carry over. Um, obviously, schools will be a big issue. You know, right. however the legislature handles this session and whatever they have to do the formula. Right, and and the and the question is, if it is a referendum in some ways on Sam Brownback, how Kansans judge him will be important. And as he leaves, maybe that's a good question to ask. How do we see Sam Brownback today? How do you think voters will see him 12 months from now? Well, you know, it's, that, it's a gap. It'll be interesting. I, you know, I, I don't think, you know, he'll become more unpopular. You know, he's already, I think, the second most unpopular governor in the country. You know, Chris Christie, as you served him for that first spot. Um, <laughs> but I, it'll be interesting, you know, are people going to get a little bit of nostalgia for Brownback at some point? You know, and, you know, once it, the tax increase is hit, are people going to be upset that their taxes right, go up? Right, right. And Jeff Collier has to, I, 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 I think, frankly, from my point of view, voters will be less upset about the tax increases, A, because we've reported on it a lot there it can't be a surprise and b there was a clear mandate in 2016 Mm -hmm. to fix the school problem which as we just discussed isn't completely fixed but but to me the most interesting dilemma of the entire campaign next year will be whether jeff collier wants to run in the governor governor brownback's shadow or step out from uh behind that shadow and try to push chris kobach into it because for all the Chris Kobach arguing that Jeff Collier's, you know, too attached to the to the current governor. The fact is that on policy, Chris Kobach is more Brownbackian than almost anyone in the field, right? I mean, he's the one out there saying, no, we shouldn't have raised taxes and we could cut spending, whatever that would be. Well, I, 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 I mean, I think Brown, I, mean, I think Kobach's biggest challenge will be to get out from Brownback's shadow in a way. Well, I've said when you look at, you know, 
Kobach's campaign rhetoric. It's almost like a you put you know Trump's rhetoric, rhetoric and Brownback's ideology into a blender sometimes. Um, and you know, Collier keeps saying, "I'm my own man. I'm my own man." And he keeps telling us, this, "Well, we don't quite understand who exactly that man is. Is right. he, you know, is he the one that's going to try to appeal some, to some moderates? Because if you're a conservative, there's not, you know, it's hard to carve out that vote when you have a lot Precisely. of people on the conservative side." Precisely. And the message for me from 2016 is there is a moderate Republican vote, and you don't get you don't get any sense that that Jeff Collier or any of the other candidates will be able to run to the right of Chris Kobach. I mean, you just can't get to his right. Not just on school and taxes, but immigration and uh, voting rights, all the other stuff. So you would think that Collier's best play would be to try and find some place to the left of Kobach that would appeal to the Johnson County Republicans who, who sent so many moderates to the legislature. And that's why I thought and wrote today that uh, for all the predictions about a, a, a messy session next year, maybe that would be a place for Jeff Collier to step out and to take some leadership into permanently solving the school finance problem because then he could go border to border and so say, hey, we've wrestled this for 10 years and I was the guy who fixed it. Whether he'll listen to my advice or not, I have no idea. But uh, that seems like a dynamic that might play itself out. You're just not going to get to the right of Chris Kobach if you're a Republican. You think that's right? Well, you make a good point, though. I mean, you know, if Collier succeeds, this could, this could help him. You know, if he, if he managed right. to really, you know, shepherd through a good session. Um, but I think that'll be tough. Again, I, I'm not sure you can get more conservative than Chris Kobach, you know. And that, like you said, um, it'll be interesting to see. You know, Collier has been trying to kind of strike this balance. But it's going to be, you know, I think it'll be a tough session, and it's really, it's, it's a risk. You know, you're kind of on that seesaw of, you know, right. can't go too far left, can't go too far right. Because, you know, anything that he does that that leans anywhere near near the left, I think Kobach yeah. will jump all over. Do you think he him. wants to, Jeff Collier wants to be governor? Does he have the fire in the belly? I think, he, you know, I think he thinks he'll be good at it. I, I think I think that's kind of his view right now. It'll be interesting to see once you get into those campaigns, because we know Chris Kobach is an expert debater. We know Chris Kobach, you know. He, he's faced off. Right, and he's got quote. a 20% base in the right. state, one assumes, that's almost unshakable. And if you, so he needs to find another 5% somewhere. You do get the sense, too, that some of the candidates now in the race may decide to drop out as we get closer to the primary. Mark Hutton, the former state rep who, you know, was very critical of, you know, the LLC passer, you know, the Brownback right. tax cuts, he uh, he came down to the press corner to peak and commented us. He thinks, I think roughly by the end of the year, it'll be down to three candidates. And you can kind of think, okay, is that going to end up being like Collier and Hutton and Kobach? But, you know, you have a lot of people, you know, Selzer seems motivated. Right. You know, obviously Ed O'Malley is kind of that moderate standard bearer right now. Jim Barnett's done it before, mm -hmm. so he has some sense of what's going on. But someone's going to have to sort of, you would assume, because otherwise then Kobach does win the nomination with 25% mm -hmm. of the vote. And the, I'm sure the Republicans, even conservative Republicans, are a bit worried about that going in. So we'll see what happens. Well, uh, Hunter, I appreciate you coming by and talking about these complicated issues in the state of Kansas. Anytime, Dave. Uh, and we'll see how it uh, plays out in January when all of these things land on your plate. I look forward to it. Hunter Woodall with the Kansas City Star. Thanks. Once again, I've been, uh, i not been, I am Dave Helling with the Kansas City Star's editorial board, and you have been on Deep Background.